Welcome back to another episode of Test Talks and Sometimes Listens. It is now mid-March, which is insane to me. Um, Time has been flying by in my life lately, which has honestly been a little more hectic than I would have liked it to be. Um, I'm at a stressful personal time, which has been an interesting thing to navigate. Everything is totally fine. I just am moving through like a billion different logistical problems in my life regarding my living situation and and things like that, that all kind of hit at the same time, you know, when it rains, it pours. So I've actually put put our little charm on the back burner a little bit, um, but it is coming back and the podcast is definitely never going anywhere. Uh, This morning was a perfect representation of the hectic energy in life right now as I called my guest late and then running around getting dishes done and trying to like settle in um, and kind of ground and, and record this podcast in the middle of the stressful day as as the snowpocalypse starts. Uh, if you're in Colorado, you understand that this weekend is supposed to be snowy. Uh, this episode will premiere in a couple of days, so we might be surrounded with several feet of snow when we're hearing it, but we'll see what happens. The point of my ramblings this morning is I now get to sit down and root and ground and do one of my favorite things, and it is making me so happy, and knowing that joy is always available to you, even in times of chaos. (laughs) You you can always find some joy, um, get back to something you love doing, no matter what else is, is going on, and for the rest of the hour, I get to let let the stress melt away and talk to one of my favorite people. That being said, I have a friend on the podcast today who is actually a new friend of mine, um, which is kind of a funny... You don't think that you make friends as an adult, which <laughs> is ridiculous. Um, and, and my friend Jen has come into my life over the last couple of years and she is somebody that I did not know I was missing and she showed up and I was like, oh, here you are. (laughs) Um, I am constantly impressed with her. She is driven and organized and brave and successful and she has this intuitive trust in herself that I so deeply admire. Um, on top of all that serious stuff, she is kind and silly, and uh, I love her for those things too. So, Jen, hello, and welcome to the show. Hi, Tess. Wow, those are such nice words. Oh, they're <laughs> such true words. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> do, do you think that, um, like, making friends as an adult isn't really a dynamic I ever thought about until obviously it was happening. And it was like, oh yeah, I guess like your high school friends aren't just the rest of your life, you know? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Like, I think you and I were in a very similar position when um, we became friends because you were moving back to Colorado after a few years of being away and I was moving to Colorado for the first time. Yeah, we were both, like we moved within like a month of each other, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and, like, I 
I was in the same position where I was like, how am I going to make friends as an adult? Like, it's so weird yeah. to, like, move to a new place and have to meet new people. And, um, yeah, I think we were both lucky that we were in the same position. <laughs> it's true. And I definitely um, feel that way because even though I'm from here, my life, my the first 21 years of my life, which was, you know, all Colorado, um, was completely dedicated to my dance career and like all of my friends and all of my everything was surrounding dance and theater and performance uh, and then I moved away and like stepped back from that whole world and then I moved back and this was the first time that I was living in Colorado identifying as anything besides a dancer because I clung to that identity for so long um so it was like it felt like a new place and I didn't know I had never been in Colorado not living at my parents' house, and I had never been in my in Colorado not just focusing on dance. And in many, many ways, it was it was new. And so making new friends was definitely something <laughs> that concerned me. Um, and then I started working with your boyfriend. Yeah. Aren't we all lucky for that? <laughs> we are so <laughs> lucky for that reason. Um, for that small little pizza shop in Lafayette. <laughs> at the little pizza restaurant that I work at brought me all of, like, all of my people, all of my Colorado best friends now. Um, anyway, so I, I just talked about the first 21 years of my life in a nutshell. Why don't, why don't you give us a little, a little background on, on who is Jen? Oh goodness, that's such a complex <laughs> question. I know, I know. Um, well, I guess I'd have to start with the fact that Jen is a girl from Missouri. Um, girl from Missouri. <laughs> yeah, born and raised in the middle of the United States. <laughs> Um, in a very, very different place than Colorado, I'll have to say. Super um, different. Very different, yeah. Um, for one, Missouri is quite flat. Um, we do not have mountains like we have here. Um, yeah, Which, however, Missouri is, is more swampy than Colorado, I'd have to say. Um, <laughs> swamps can be beautiful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's very moist there. Moist. <laughs> not so much here, but... Um, yeah, I was I was born and raised in Missouri, and I came from just a very different community <laughs> that I have here today. Sure. Um, and I was raised in a very uh, <laughs> religious, conservative background kind of family. Sure. Um, and I eventually found my way to Kansas City and became my own person, and separated myself from a lot of that and then found myself in Colorado. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, so that, so would you agree that your, um, you going to college was a really big step in, in finding yourself? Um, from what I know of your background, it sounds like that might be accurate. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. It was, um, it was this really big, scary step that I took that just changed the trajectory of my life completely. Um, I went into college with different plans <laughs> than, um, than I started pursuing when I left college. So um, it definitely was a really good step for me personally. Sure. Um, I can't say the same for everyone. Like, you know, I'm not one of those people who's going to stand here and preach that everyone should go to college because that's like 
not true, you know, but for me personally, it, it was definitely a game changer. Yeah, it sounds like it really was um, a way for, it was, it was time and space granted for you to figure yourself out. Um, I want to know how, how did you know that you, because it's not necessarily, uh, it wasn't necessarily expected for you to go to college. How did, how did your parents feel about that? How did your family feel about that? And how did you come to the decision that that was going to be your next step? Yeah, so my, so in my family, I was the first to, like, in my immediate family to, like, get a degree. Like, my parents, neither of them actually have degrees. Okay. Um, and my grandparents on my mom's side also don't have degrees, um, but that's just, like, the way things were, I guess, <laughs> when they were younger. Right. Um, so it was, it was definitely something that was different <laughs> for me to do from the rest of my family. Sure. Um, and I think it just kind of lined up with my interests. So I was always interested in science. And when I was in um, high school, I wanted to go to med school. Like that was my journey that I wanted to take. Okay. Um, and, you know, you have to go to college, unfortunately, to be a doctor. <laughs> no, that, it's fortunate. I want my doctors to have had a college education. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I guess that, unfortunately, is not the right word. But, yeah, it's just such an expensive uh, journey to take if you want to be a doctor. Right. Um, you basically, like, commit yourself to a bazillion years of schooling. Right. Um, but that was kind of what led me to going to school. And um, I don't know, it was, my dad was very supportive of it because he um, was kind of outside of the community that I originally um, came from. Outside of the, the religious community. community. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And my mom's side of the family, I mean, they were, they were support like my uncle, um, one of her her sis her sister's brother, no, <laughs> her sister's husband, her sister's husband, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, like you know, they were like supportive of me because they knew that like I was very academically driven. Um, but I think some of the hesitation was with my role as a woman. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So there's it's. It's kind of this, like, implicit expectation for the women to be, to prioritize being a wife and a mother before a career woman. Okay. Um, And so if I wanted to pursue a career in medicine or healthcare or whatever, which is something that I've always been drawn to, I knew that I would my priorities were going to be a little bit different. Like I was wanting to finish school before considering having children because I mean, I know people do it. I know people can have kids in med school and all of that. But I think for me personally, that would have been too difficult (laughs) to balance personally. Um, And I, I don't know. I just think my priorities were always a little bit um, different than what my family was kind of, hoping for um they still of course support you know the path that I've taken and they supported me going to college and stuff but I think they were um a little bit worried that my path was going to um misguide me (laughs) sure well I I think it's incredible that you and your family have found a, a balance of support and respect even though you have 
taken a different journey than what they projected for you. Um, yeah. I do know. So the I want to say the first time I met you, but that's not true. Um, the first time I met you, I think, was at Top Golf. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but the first time we like hung out, because um, I met you at Top Golf, and I called two of my girlfriends after meeting you, and I said, "There's this girl Jen. She just moved to town. She doesn't know a lot of people, so let's do a girls' brunch," um, with the intention of of you getting to meet some more people that lived in Colorado. And we got together for brunch and I I didn't know you that well. And you all of a sudden, like it came up that college was the first time that you ever wore pants. (laughs) Can you, can you retell that story, please? Oh yeah. So, um, the community that I grew up in, um, the women were not allowed to wear pants. We had to wear um, modest, like, skirts. So yeah. the rule of thumb was it had to be a skirt that if you knelt on the ground, that skirt had to touch the ground, too. So you couldn't, like, show your knees. Okay. Um, and, and we also, like, couldn't cut our hair. So I looked very different going into college than I do now. Sure. Um, but I do remember um, one of my college friends she like lived in the same dorm that I did Mm -hmm. she let me borrow a pair of pants one day and I don't remember like why I wanted to try to use pants on I think we were going out and I just wanted to do something different yeah Um, doing something different is a great feeling yeah it was it was wild though I put these pants on and I was like oh my god like (laughs) I have a butt like my legs separate in the middle it's so weird all this all of my life I've only seen myself in these knee-length skirts yeah and um you're like check me out yeah it was a drastically different look for me and um I I really enjoyed it actually (laughs) rebellion you should you should enjoy you should enjoy the rebellion of it and the differentness of it and the hey check me outness of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. My friends that were there when I was like putting them on for the first time, uh-huh. I like walked out and their like mouths just dropped. <laughs> Damn, like, girl! Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're wearing pants, and it just sounds so silly now because like pants are pants like I wear pants every day right right it's just so normal for people I guess you like take it for granted unless you've never worn pants before (laughs) I can't I cannot imagine putting on the feeling of putting on pants for the first time as as an adult in like I just I think that's such a it's just such a fun add-on to (laughs) to the gen experience of moving away and and everything but (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah, so you, so you put on a pair of pants and you cut your hair and you were extremely academically successful all through college. Yeah. <laughs> um, in that order. In that order. In that order. Not that the pants had anything to do with it, but um, so tell uh, what you studied and, and what you what your degree is in now. So um, I. Originally was pre-med, um, and I was on the biology track because I absolutely hated chemistry in high school. And I hear this a lot, actually. Um, but then when I got to college, I fell in love with chemistry, and so I switched majors to biochem mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I could um, have a little bit of, of both of those worlds. And 
So that's what I ended up doing. And then I also, um, I was a double major, so I studied psychology as well. So you are in really in three different realms, a like truly a woman of science. Yes. And believe it or not, I was like two classes away from minoring in physics too. Oh, of course. (laughs) You say believe it or not, and that is something that is applicable to the people listening to this podcast, but not to me because of course I believe that you basically also have a physics major. That just makes all of the sense to me. Um, I think you should have your own your own show. You're, you're like Bill Nye 2.0, but probably much more educated. Um, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense to me. But I did not know that. So physics, psychology, biology, and chemistry. Yes. And now you're in grad school. I am in grad school. Yes. But so. Um, Go. Well, <laughs> go ahead, so, go ahead. So high school, Jennifer thought she was going to go to med school, and then um, college, Jennifer got involved in, or undergraduate, Jennifer got involved in um, independent research instead with some professors, which part of it was we had to have a semester as a science major to graduate, and I actually did independent research every single semester because I loved it from the moment I started. Um, so when I graduated, instead of going straight to medical school, um, I got a job as a research coordinator for um, at KU Med in the Parkinson's Disease Center. Cool. And I just like absolutely fell in love with doing clinical trials and pharmaceutical research and just like working with these families who, you know, they have this diagnosis, which there's not a cure for. And, um, just giving them options outside of what's on the market and being like, you know, like full disclosure, this is something new. This is, you know, we we don't have a lot of data on this yet. That's why we're doing these trials, but maybe this could work for you. And just giving people hope whenever the other options run out, I guess. (laughs) Um, And I just, I just loved it so much. And um, I ended up getting stuck in clinical research for four years, and then I decided to go back and get my master's in pharmaceutical sciences. So that's where I'm at, not in medical school, um, but more on the like pharmacy research track. Yeah, sci- science and research. I mean, research. You are such a a type A, uh, what is it, left brained personality of of like being organized and being driven and like like you and academia have just always been and from my perception have just always been like best friends like that is you um and then on top of that you also have this other side too and I love that these two things don't have to be mutually exclusive so I want you to speak to this a little bit if you will um because you have another side too that is that is a lot more uh, creative Colorado hippie style <laughs> as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm definitely still like a, quite a spiritual person, if that's what you're <laughs> getting at. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I just have never really believed that science and spirituality have to exist exclusively. Um, I don't know why people do believe that. I don't know why that started. I don't really either. Um, Yeah, I'm always, like, blown away by it because the more I study in science, the more I feel like I, like, 
get closer to this concept of God, I guess, Um, because everything that I study is just so amazing. Like, I learned in class, well, just this week, we were talking about how proteins fold, and it's something so basic to our just life, and and we still don't understand. But it's like this innate, like, innate, beautiful magic that's happening microscopically that is just these perfect systems that have have developed or come into place and yeah I think that I love the fact that you can view learning as a spiritual experience like academic learning yeah I I definitely think it brings me closer to like the universe (laughs) no I think it's, it's well and it just speaks to People are multifaceted. We all know that, you know, but we still have this tendency to put people in boxes when we first meet them. You know, I I met you and I was like, oh, Jennifer is a research scientist. Like, boom, there's her box. And then like a week later, you're like, yeah, when I was dancing in the woods and like the summer solstice party. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) hold up. This woman is awesome. Yeah, well, I just think that you can celebrate life and nature in different ways, and part of that is, like, learning about it in science. (laughs) Because what else is science for but to understand how nature works? It's true. It's true. Yeah, it's, um, I guess maybe the the science is more the, the understanding and the digging into the details and the spiritual or worship or religious, like, realms are more about, like, the, um, the, just appreciating and and witnessing and just the awe of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, all right. So, so that so we started in St. Louis. You're from St. Louis. Yeah, uh, but go Cardinals. <laughs> go Cardinals. And then school in Kansas City or er, Kansas City, Kansas City. Uh, and then what brought you to Colorado? Um, so, I met this boy, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so I, this is kind of silly, I end up moving because of boys somehow. So I moved to Kansas City for a boy, too. Okay. Um, Yeah. It um, happens. It happens, you know, it does. Um, and then I, after graduating, I got this, uh, a job, um, I worked with the Parkinson's disease research, and then... After a year of that, I was like, you know what, I miss being in a lab because I absolutely loved my chemistry lab in undergrad, and it's actually really funny. My chemistry professor used my lab notebook as the key for the rest of the class. Oh my gosh, of course, of course (laughs) he did. Um, Yeah, it's just like a funny story, but yeah, so I just like loved being in the laboratory which I know, like, if you talk to some science majors, that's, like, the worst part. Because it's, like, a four-hour thing. You start at 7 in the morning, and, the, like, everyone's like, oh, boo. Like, nobody likes it. But I was the weirdo who was, like, pipetting the crap out of things. And <laughs> you were ready. The experiment. Yeah, but I wanted to get back in the laboratory, so I p- applied for this position at um, this, like, CRO. So they also support clinical um, trials, but they're, like, the the organizations that like run the samples basically so I applied for the CRO position um working in flow cytometry as a bench analyst and um I worked there for two years and that's where I met Sander my boyfriend so he he graduated a year after me and I we both started working at PRA in 2017 I was there a couple months before him 
um, but we just, like, hit it off really well. Like, I, I can't even describe, like, how I knew he was my person. It was, like, this, the moment I, I heard his name and someone told me that this guy was going to be working there, for like, there was this voice in my mind that was, like, you're, this is your person. And I hadn't even met him yet. Like, wow. it, it was so crazy. And then I did meet him, and I, like, remember our first interaction still, like, we had this like corporate volleyball game and it was like his first day of work and the volleyball game was like that weekend oh my and gosh. I like went up and invited him and I was like hey like we're doing this volleyball thing and blah blah um and he actually had a girlfriend at the time which is really funny okay but um, Sander is the perfect person to um like have a first day on the job and then just like coolly step into like a corporate volleyball <laughs> like that makes a lot of sense in my brain Oh, absolutely. He, yeah. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what kind of person he was yet. Sure. So I was like, this could be a complete rejection. Like, he could be, like, this crazy girl, like, whatever. But he was like, yeah, I'll be there. And and we just, like, became friends immediately. Like, it wasn't even romantic yet at first. Like, I, of Natural. course, I was cute. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, we just clicked so well. And then, um... And then at some point he didn't have a girlfriend anymore and things just escalated and and here we are in Colorado because he wanted to move here. Because he, he's from here. <laughs> yes. So he's from um, Lafayette. So he wanted to come back home, which perfect timing, honestly, because we didn't know that coronavirus was going to happen. We happened to move here like the summer before. Um, but yeah, it, it just all worked out. <laughs> um. I know that most of the time that you have spent living in Colorado has been during, like, COVID times. Um, But what is your impression of Colorado? Like, you had never been here before you moved, or is that not correct? I went on vacation with um, uh, someone in my past. (laughs) We came to Colorado Springs once and had, like, a vacation here. But that was my only experience with Colorado. Um, Oh, I also, that's a lie. So I I did spend a week in Denver once. Um, I was the president of the Honor Society at Rockhurst, and there was, like, a conference in Denver. And so um, all of, like, the Honor Societies and other schools in the area, like, met in Denver, and we had, like, this really cool conference. Um, And I went to that. But, yeah, those are my only two experiences in Colorado. I'd never, like been to the mountains necessarily okay. or you know experienced camping or like skiing or other Colorado activities so and now you've done you've done all the Colorado things how do you how do you feel about being a Coloradan I'm really like digging it I really enjoy it I digging found out how much of yeah I, I didn't realize I was like an outdoorsy person <laughs> until I, I came here I guess um, it's a, but, this is yeah. a good place to be outdoorsy Oh, for sure. I, I didn't realize how addicting the mountains were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, like, obsessed with going up there every weekend that I can. So I got into skiing because that's super important to Xander. That's, like, one of his favorite pastimes. So sure. he, we learned – well, I learned how to ski last season. Um, and I'm finally doing blues now. So I'm nice. Yeah, um, that's exciting. And then in the summer, we – 
go camping as much as we can. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, we're, I'm so excited for our, for our second annual friend group camping trip coming up in June. Cause oh, yeah. last, <laughs> the last one was pure magic. <laughs> I don't have other. Oh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was so great. Um, no, being, being outside and the mini adventures and, uh, I think Colorado really has a deep appreciation of nature, which is uh, fabulous. And it also is, I know that you, you are really good about winter warrioring and enjoying the winter and getting out there and skiing and everything. Um, winter is the time of year where I'm just like waiting for it to be summer again. But I, I, know, I know we have different viewpoints on that. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely love, love the winter. And I think it's because... Actually, no, winters kind of also really suck in Missouri, to be honest. Did, they, <laughs> what is, yeah, what is Colorado winter compared to Missouri winter? So Missouri, as I said, is is a very moist state. It's just super humid all yeah. the time. Which, which by winter, the way, if you're not allowed to cut your hair your whole life and you live in humidity, that oh, sounds like its own torture device right there. I'm just pointing out. Oh, yeah, my hair is actually naturally like curly slash wavy Mm -hmm. and so um it's kind of a mess in in humid states but in Colorado my hair's kind of flat like I it's not very wavy here and I I kind of like the way it behaves better here um there you go but yeah no you're good you're good uh color uh is Missouri winter as as hard to get through as Colorado winter it's worse. I, it's worse. So we don't, in Missouri, it, there's not an, as much snow as in Colorado. So the snow in Colorado is like light and fluffy. You can like sweep it off your car with a broom. Right. In Missouri, there's not a ton of snow. It's a lot of ice because oh. of the humidity. So you get the freezing rain. You have to like chisel your car windshields because it's just like, it, and it's thick layers of ice too. Yeah, that is, um, that is the worst. Yeah, it's no fun at all. So I really like the winters in Colorado better. And it's like, because of the humidity, whenever you get like a wind chill, I don't know if you guys have that here. I haven't really heard of it. But it's like, in Missouri, if it's two degrees, it feels like negative 15, because it's just just bone chilling cold in Mm. the air. Like, the humidity just seeps into everything. Yeah, I think the humidity really is a killer in that, um, in in that regard. Uh, Yeah. But so we we talk about like logistical differences between Colorado and Missouri all the time, and that I think has led to a bigger discussion between the two of us. Um, it's opened up the dialogue of just how massive our country is, and how many different places there are. Like New Orleans and Hawaii are the same country. Like how how is that? We talk about this a lot. Yeah, we do. It's. It's definitely like a very vast country and the cultures in different states are just so different and it's definitely like I think you can experience culture shock staying within the same country. Um definitely. I feel that from time to time coming from like Missouri and I'm not necessarily like I'm not really from like the city of St. Louis or the city of Kansas City. I kind of grew up in the suburb area, kind of a more conservative community of um, close to St. Louis where okay. you know it's it's quite red and then coming to Colorado yeah. which is like a completely different culture even in the suburbs it's, it's just wild po- political culture shock yes definitely politically um 
And I mean, the weather differences are very different. And the fact that I have to like wear chapstick and lotion all year round here <laughs> we're in Missouri is just like we're hurting for summer. moisture. Yeah, yeah. The the air is literally lotion for your skin. It's wild. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, yeah, I think we we talk about. Uh, just how big our country is all the time. And something that basically through our conversations I've been able to realize is um, is our country was built to celebrate diversity. Like, that was the point. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was how we were founded, was we were supposed to be a melting pot of all kinds of different um, different people, and we were supposed to celebrate diversity. And I think life in America in 2021 is more now we are kind of encouraged to define enemies from having different points of view. When I say diversity, I'm not talking about skin color. I'm not talking about sexual orientation. I'm talking about politics and and viewpoints and opinions. We do not celebrate that kind of diversity anymore. We're encouraged to find, find a bubble of people who think the same way and treat everyone else kind of as an enemy now. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. And that is like, it's so wild to me because I think the reason that I really struggled with the religious community that I grew up in was this mindset that like everyone outside of this specific way of thinking was going to hell. Right. Right. And I could not, like, I wrestled with that concept. I was like, there's no way that this many people are just damned to hell you know because they they haven't found the specific path that you believe in and I feel like that's like creeping into like political views too it's like everyone who doesn't think this exact same thing as you or has a different perspective is wrong like instead of just celebrating the fact that people are different like I don't think that it's fair that People think that if you don't come to the same conclusion as me, you have a flawed way of thinking. I right. just think that's not right. No, it's not right. And and everybody has come to their own decisions based on their life experience. And your the first 18 years of your life looked vastly different than the first 18 years of my life. And I think 18-year-old Jen and 18-year-old Tess had very different viewpoints. And I... I'm also very grateful to say that since those versions of ourselves, we have now entered into the beautiful, magical, gray territory of of (laughs) anti-radicalism. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think if 18-year-old Tess and 18-year-old Jennifer um, had met... I just don't even know what would have happened. <laughs> I don't know what would have happened either. You you came into my life at the right time. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. Well, and, and you you definitely helped. Um, if we can talk a tiny bit uh, about the election we just went through, uh, you helped me a lot in, in there. I remember I came over to your house one night, and we just, like, sat on your sofa and drank tea, and I just was exhausted. I was just tired, and I wasn't tired of, um, I wasn't tired of people telling me to vote, which, of course, I did. Like, I'm not tired of the, of the election itself. I'm tired of the way people are treating each other who are voting differently than each other. And I was 
exhausted and you really helped me through that. Do you remember that night? I do remember that night. Yeah, we drank some like rose tea or something. It was lovely. It's like Jennifer is the perfect person to just show up exhausted and she'll hand you a cup of rose tea and and talk your problems away. But I was exhausted because of the way people were treating each other. Um, especially the way that I'm going to, I'm going to make a bold statement here. Um, my liberal friends, uh, of which I agree with 99% of the time, well, maybe 90, (laughs) often, I agree with them often on most issues regarding most things. Uh, and they tend to be the ones who are so extreme in there. Like there's a lot of I'm just going to say it. There's a lot of, if you vote, if you, yeah, yeah. If you voted for Trump, defriend me. Yes. We can't be friends anymore. I, I cannot surround myself with you. And and I understand the reasons behind their, their, the having that opinion. I really do. But I also just don't think we can get anywhere unless we're willing to, to be kind, to offer kindness and grace and patience to those who have different views than us. I think that's the single most important thing we can we can do. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree with that. And I so I, I'm definitely more of like a liberal leaning person myself. Um well, see I I've even told you this too. So like Compared to my family and a lot of my friends in Wentzville, Missouri, uh-huh. I am quite liberal. But sure. compared to my friends in Boulder, Colorado, I am not that liberal. Yeah, yeah, it's so, definitely definitely a scale. Yes, absolutely. And so it's very interesting because you brought up the exact truth that like your viewpoints are definitely, mm, or the way you perceive the world is kind of structured by your upbringing and and your experiences and things like that so like of course my experiences and being raised in Wentzville Missouri (laughs) yeah um molded me in a different way than people who have only stayed in Colorado all of their life um, would probably be molded into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I know that that night with the rose tea, uh, I was I was exhausted and I was having these feelings and I was sharing a lot with you. And you, um, you really helped me understand uh, why a lot of people in Missouri were voting the way people in Missouri tend to vote. Um, and you helped me understand that from such a kind, loving way. And that is what I want. Like, I do not want to spend my time being frustrated and to spend my time feeling aggressive towards others and to spend my time, well, I just can't understand why you would do this. And it's like, well, have you tried? <laughs> have you listened? <laughs> and you you were able to, like, help talk to me about that a lot. Um, yeah. I know I can imagine that the election was stressful for you as well what with your your two homes being Missouri and Colorado yeah it definitely brought its challenges because like you know I am friends with with people who are kind of exclusionary on either side too I mean it's not just like you know super leftist liberals I mean there's also super rightist conservatives have the same view that's like if you vote this way then you're a baby killer and unfriend me and and it goes kind of both ways and 
it was very hard for me to be kind of stuck in this weird middle ground. And again, seeing that, that mindset where it's like, well, if you don't see things the way that I see things, or if you're not on the same path as me, then you're damned to this political hell basically. And and I just, I can't, Jennifer, me personally, you know, my heart cannot handle that. I can never like look at someone and judge them based on one aspect of their life because people are so multifaceted. Like I can't just look at you and be like, well, because you voted for Trump, then you must be bigoted and, and racist and sexist and like all these things because like I came from a family who did vote for Trump and they're not those things, you know, they're some loving people and, and vice versa. Like my family or well, not exactly my family, but some people think that if you voted blue, then you're like this baby killer or, you know, you're Mm -hmm. a socialist and all these things. And I'm like, well, like, but maybe, you know, like those are only two aspects of voting those for the, those politics, you know, like for voting that way. It's so true. And that doesn't, Go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry. (laughs) I was just going to say that like doesn't define who people are exclusively. You're just putting them in a box. Yeah. Well, I think, um, one issue voters are definitely a very prevalent thing. Um, and, and it's not, uh, yeah. Having, I mean, you, you've brought up the term baby killer now. And I, I know that a lot of people, um, in Missouri, especially a lot of women in Missouri, uh, voted the way they voted based on purely that singular issue, not who's in office, not um, not because they're racist or because they're radical. These are like kind, loving, accepting people who felt that they had to vote that way because of one issue. And I know there are people on the other side that also voted because of one issue. And I, I think that's, I don't know, that's a, a really... That's a tough way to vote based on one thing. Yeah, it, it's tough, but also, like, who am I to judge other people's priorities, too? Like, if that's your main priority in life, then, like, this is the country you live in. You know, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> you're right. And it does not yeah. it does not make anyone a bad person. What Your, your priorities do not make you a bad person. I think um, everybody voted to do what they thought would make our country a better, safer, happier place. And and that's always what people should do, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I think that, like, you mentioned earlier that, like, we need to learn how to have conversations again and just listen to each other instead of just defending everyone who happened to vote for the opposite candidate. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating to have conversations with people who just think differently than you. And like, I mean, you know this, like me and my partner have different political views. And I think that if I, I really actually like that about our relationship because it forces me to like challenge my mind constantly and, yeah. and, and challenges me to like listen to someone who has an opposing point of view and try to understand or or come to some not compromise but um just to like try to understand their way of thinking I guess yes try to see their point of view instead of just shutting it down and being threatened because it's different than like what I think that's exactly you you just used the perfect word the perfect word is threatened when someone has a different viewpoint we feel threatened why how can we re like what 
what is a better word? Like, what should our reaction be to someone having a different viewpoint? Instead of threatened, we should feel, we should feel blank. Intrigued. I love it. Interested, you know, like it's an opportunity to learn about someone else. And okay. I mean, we started the podcast talking about how I love science and I'm definitely like a scientist through and through. And one of the things that I really loved that one of my professors said last week was, um, we were doing a lecture and he brought up coronavirus because that's the hot topic right now. It's sure. like nanotechnology and pharmaceuticals. Um, but he said at, at the end of the lecture, he said, um, this is what is known about coronavirus and in a month it will be wrong. <laughs> and I loved that. Uh, and yes. I think that we should kind of look at life that way always. Like these are my viewpoints right now, and in a month it could be wrong. It could be different because oh, you should that. constantly be assimilating new information and and new viewpoints, and just like allowing yourself to absorb new knowledge about different topics. And and it's okay if you change your mind. You know, you don't have to like stick to your guns because a month ago you felt this way. Like if you learn new information and you have different guns to stick to, then do that. Yeah. I, I say that all the time. The best thing that I've ever done for myself is granted myself permission to change my mind. Like letting, yes. letting a previous version of me interrupt who I want to be and how I want to grow now is just unacceptable. Yeah, exactly. And like, you're not truly granting yourself permission to change your mind if you're not allowing your mind to experience other viewpoints. That you know? is so true. So I, I, I think the takeaway is turning threatened into intrigued. I just think that's an awesome way to rephrase it. Next time you're having a conversation and you realize someone has a different, different viewpoint than you, take that... Um, immediate innate reaction of feeling threatened which we are all sort of trained to have just at this point and see if you can put a spin of interest or being intrigued or being curious curious is my whole thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely and also like keep in mind that they're a complex human too. So if they say something that's different from your perspective, don't just judge their entire personality based on that. Like take a moment to have a civil conversation and not a judgmental one. Take a moment to listen to what they have to say and have a, like a back and forth conversation instead of an argument to try to change their mind. Because at the end of the day, when you try to argue and attack someone else's point of view, you're just both going to get defensive and there's not going to be an actual understanding. There's no progression to be had in a conversation like that. Right. Oh, it's so true. That is an excellent, excellent way to, to put a spin on it. I I appreciate you for a hundred reasons. You know that I'm constantly, (laughs) constantly showering love down upon you in a in a Leslie Nope affectionate sort of way um (laughs) and and I do I mean it I mean it all the time but I it was it is so nice to talk to you always and it's so nice to talk to you today on like this stressful hectic morning in this stressful hectic part of my life um and just remember that people are people we're all multifaceted you are always allowed to grow and progress and open your mind and stay curious and stay humble and and you are are good at bringing me back down (laughs) to the ground so i'm so glad 
<laughs> thank you. And thank you for being here and having this conversation on the podcast with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. I do have one more question, and it's something that I ask every guest on the show. Um, I want to know if you have a specific, like the answer is a specific concrete thing that you can do every day. Uh, and I'm looking for something that you can do every day to help manage just like the hecticness that I experience today, just the regular everyday stress of being a human on this planet. <laughs> yeah. Um, as someone who also like has many high stress days, I think the thing that helps me is I like to make my bed every morning. Um, making your bed. Yeah. It's, it's that one thing you can start your day having control over. Hey, yeah, that's, I haven't looked at it that way, but you're right. You, you wake up and, um, I think this is actually something that my my older brother, who was the first podcast guest, um, he mentioned, he he said his tip was just like small, accomplishable tasks. Like, and making your bed, I think, falls into that category. Like it's, you get to wake up and immediately accomplish something. Yeah, absolutely. So that if the rest of your day is super hectic and you don't accomplish anything else, at the end of the day, you crawl back into a bed that has been made. <laughs> oh, yes. That's an, it's a really, I've always thought of making your bed as like a chore and like a, you do this so that your room is aesthetically pleasing, which I, I can understand. And I do like having a room that's aesthetically pleasing, but, but I haven't thought of it as an act of self-care and that's kind of what you just turned it into. Oh yes. I a hundred percent believe it is. You oh. deserve to go bed and a made a beautiful aesthetically pleasing bed that is true that is true we definitely do so if you're listening and you haven't made your bed today that's okay but if you go make your bed right now that is committing an amazing act of self-care to future you this evening absolutely uh well i have to go make my bed so (laughs) definitely not a morning i'd say i'm at about uh, eh, 60 to 70% of the time I make my bed. And every time I do, I'm happy with myself, but I haven't, haven't made that final push yet. So I guess I'll have to, I'll have to go make it after we hang up. (laughs) Um, but thank you so much for being here, Jen. And, um, thank you for listening as always. Uh, this episode is coming out on the 15th of March. So I hope that you're staying warm wherever you are. I always hope that everybody's staying warm all the time because being cold is the worst. And I will see you at the end of March until next time.